Tiger. This podcast contains language and explicit themes. Okay, now begin. Babes, welcome to This Body, a podcast about being in a body. I'm your host, Sophia. Happy, happy Valentine's Week. Happy Valentine's Day. Did you manifest your perfect lover this year? Did your vision board work? Did you call in all that the universe wants to give you? Did you generate as a result of a spiritual awakening the person with all the qualities on your list? And if not, what's the matter with you? Are you unable to manifest your dream life because you're a loser with no magic? Every generation has had a self-help book that has sold gangbusters. Ancient philosophers were basically self-help gurus. And in the 1930s, Dale Carnegie's treatise on the principles of social success, how to win friends and influence people, began its journey towards selling over 30 million copies worldwide. Life hacking is nothing new. It's just a new moniker and interestingly a very violent one. Hacking one's health. Hacking one's life. The times, they are dire. Some years back, I was working in a bougie yoga studio in a wealthy outer suburb of LA. Unfortunately, money doesn't buy taste and this millionaire community has almost iconically horrific taste in architecture. Broad streets with heinous McMansions replete with Venetian knockoff fountains and statues, totally incongruent with the Southern California landscape. The visuals are awful. Ain't that always the way? Most of the people who really have the money are clueless as to how to spend it well. Anyway, one day I came from my volunteer job at an East LA community centre straight to the bougie studio to teach a class and was experiencing a moment of cognitive dissonance, which I think a lot of people can relate to. If you work gig work in Los Angeles or if you just drive around, a fast transition between rich and poor neighborhoods is a culture shock and it's upsetting. I had a few moments before class, so I decided to have a quick debrief with my boss so I could ground myself and teach a really present class. As I began telling her I was feeling some sadness at some of the things that I had seen on my drive, she held her hand up in my face and said, don't bring that here. And I said, that's why I'm telling you, so I can leave it in its correct place. Have you seen that movie Smile? A crazy, freaky smile spread across my boss's face and she said, smile, don't worry, be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. I took a few minutes in the bathroom to cry it out and, yeah, release the pressure because crying is a biological tool to release feelings that get stored in the body and it's very effective because we live in a body. So I was working in a toxically positive environment then. And that's what I'm on about today. The out-of-control world domination of toxic positivity and the cult of manifesting. The studio had a lot of word art from home goods. You know. 
good vibes only, kindness matters, super grateful, have integrity, live, laugh, love. Almost every Western yoga studio has a few of these, though thankfully there are some chic zones where word art would never be tolerated. These signs have less than zero to do with yoga. These bits of mass-produced plywood are a manifestation of the toxic positivity culture of wellness that has slipped out into the wider world. It's obviously rife in wellness and yoga, but toxic positivity has entered a lot of workplaces, like the corporate sphere. It can be used and manipulated by higher-ups to dismiss concerns, and whilst there is this idea of authenticity in the workplace – Marginalised groups have often been disproportionately penalised for showing too much authenticity in their careers. Women are seen as lacking in leadership ability due to being too emotional, and in this context, toxic positivity is a lethal weapon in the war against women. Same if you're a member of a marginalised group. Person of colour, disabled or differently abled, have a criminal record. People already have an idea of weakness and inability, and therefore... You have less of a degree of freedom to express anything other than positive thoughts. So back to the Don't Worry Be Happy yoga studio. The week following our insane encounter, the boss called me into her office and gifted me an audible copy of The Secret. The law of attraction is that each one of us is determining the frequency that we're on by what we're thinking and feeling. Author Rhonda Byrne. What you think about is what you attract into your life, according to The Secret, and here are some problems with that theory. The way the world perceives us is governed by gender, race, and some other positioning. So in a world very hostile to black people, A baby born black is coming into one kind of inheritance and a baby born white is coming into a different one. When you're constantly suppressing emotions that are coming up due to an unfair society, insert ableist, racist, sexist. If you're constantly stuffing those feelings down, it affects your creativity, your productivity and your ability to get ahead in life. So the idea of the secret is that what you think about is what you will manifest in your day-to-day. So is it then fair to say that a burning cross on someone's lawn was something they brought on themselves because they were thinking about racism? No, of course not. That's fucking sick to say that. That's not laws of attraction. That's manifest destiny. The idea that white Americans are divinely ordained to settle the entire continent of North America The ideology of manifest destiny inspired a variety of measures designed to remove or destroy the native population, and maybe it's just a coincidence that colonizers of yesteryear used the same languaging as today's individualistic manifestors who share the belief that what they want is both obvious and certain. Manifesting, laws of attraction... Lucky girl syndrome and adjacent TikTok trends depend heavily on the idea of karma. It seems like a bulletproof concept, but the law of karma, as it's written and understood as a yogic or Buddhist concept, is another one of those things white people have whitewashed. Cause and effect in science is a sensible interpretation of karma, but it doesn't accurately depict what karma encompasses in South Asian spiritual text. What it's concerned with 
and what it's manifested. Cause and effect, yes, and also materialism, the caste system, hoarding, entitlement, and as a philosophical argument full of old-fashioned, outmoded thought. Karma comes out of religion, and organized religion is used as a control technique of the state. So how very convenient then that not treating citizens equally due to the caste they were born into is written into religion and law. I think the modern genesis of the Western toxic positivity movement can be traced to The Secret and that movie about finding the Holy Grail, the, the Da Vinci Code. Every generation gets excited about an old idea getting a fresh coat of paint. I thought about that recently when I was suffering through the Oscar-nominated Auschwitz movie Zone of Interest. Yes, we know about the Holocaust, but have we seen it from this particular angle? Now we have. Give these people an Oscar. Same with The Secret. The author opens by telling us that one year ago her life was in the toilet. One year ago. I find it baffling that millions follow along on these journeys guided by unstable Sherpas who are still climbing the mountain for the first time themselves, but I think the reason that we do it is because the promise of a magical solution to life's woes, especially one in which the power of your thoughts alone can be counted on to elicit real change, gives us the illusion of power over nature. Having any power over anything is very appealing because sitting in the truth not my truth, not your truth, but the truth is torture and it's the only way through. But people will try anything to outrun reality. But you can't run away from your Forced false positivity is different from optimism. Optimism is born of a willingness to show up to reality. There's a willingness also to put in the work to actualize a better future. So for me personally, I can get too pessimistic and I need to protect myself from the darkness. One thing that definitely doesn't work in steering us towards being well is pessimism. And it's in this area that I apply a little sprinkle, sprinkle of magic dust myself. Sprinkle, sprinkle. I believe in hoping for the best, but preparing for the worst. That was a family mantra. Um, and I think it's pretty solid in a world that's very much out of balance. But there are times that I've been happily surprised. For example, when my elderly aunt went in for hernia surgery in her 80s, I was ready to get the call from the surgeon telling me it was all over. But Auntie Bev recovered well and lived another decade. Perhaps I could have been a little more optimistic about her chances burying the old girl before her time. <laughs> Yeah, the body totally craps out at the end when we cark it. But we can do a lot to make the journey more comfy, like living healthy and stuff. But to live in pure pessimism might lead us to throw in the towel, eat processed food, and lean into stagnation. Also different to manifesting and the laws of attraction is the importance of neuroplasticity and mental agility. And the two most important factors for that are focus and sleep. Focusing on something and then sleeping. Magical thinkers often attribute new abilities to their powers of manifestation. And in a way that's true because say you're trying to do a skateboard trick all day and you just can't get it or a dance move. Or you might be trying to figure out a solution to a complicated business issue. All that focus isn't a waste even if you feel like you're not getting it, because when you go to sleep, your brain keeps working and processing. And in the morning, wow, you have the answer or you can do the trick. 
There are uncomfortable emotions that toxic positivity keeps us from addressing. One of the most subtle being guilt. Guilt is one of those inner child emotions and addressing inner child stuff helps us to have continuity in our identity and values in adulthood. We all have some dissonance around our needs and values. Guilt leads us to right wrongs. It can be a signal we're letting ourselves or someone else down. Guilt is one of the most powerful social emotions. It keeps us grounded in a sense of moral clarity. So I really do wonder about these manifesting generator types. I often wonder if they've visited a third world country because to me it seems that manifestors are self-absorbed individualists being willfully ignorant And I just don't think that long-term, a foundation built on denial of our connection to every other person and every other living thing on this planet can sustain us, can provide us with any kind of abiding peace. Everything happens for a reason. Hmm. When shit is really fucked up, say the loss of a child, God forbid, we can blunder into saying refrains like everything happens for a reason. Our discomfort is so strong that we want to run from tragedy. Negative experiences are valuable. And these labels that we put on them, pleasant and unpleasant, they're just value labels. But we should be really careful about what we say to people who are suffering tragedy. Everything happens for a reason. It could always be worse. My family was really fond of count your blessings, and I'm quite fond of that too, but there was some very intense loss in my family. And I guess not really allowing for the pain didn't stop the massive nervous breakdowns that happened. I think it made it worse. Um, In a health crisis, it's good to acknowledge something bad is happening. It's not on us to invent a silver lining. It's on us to hold that space and know that being happy is a fluid thing and it's on the sad days that we learn to value the happy ones. Happiness is a butterfly Try to catch it like every night No rain, no rainbow. When you're suffering... What's good for you is to go through it, hopefully with some support, but it's not always available. But we do need to accept it as part of our lives and build it into our experience somehow. And there's this thing called being tragically optimistic. It was coined in the 1940s by Viktor Frankl, a psychiatrist and Holocaust survivor who spent three years in the concentration camps. He didn't know if he was going to get out of there, so there was no imagining a better future. He wrote Man's Search for Meaning about his experience. Um, Yeah, didn't know if he'd survive. So instead of focusing on positive things that will happen, he coined tragic optimism in the face and recognition of tragedy. Instead of searching for happiness, he searched for meaning and feelings that were uncomfortable. Nature, connection and social support plus tragic optimism and gratitude are the factors that determine how well we're coping. The tyranny of toxic positivity is an avoidant coping strategy. It's not making us more resilient. It's not helping us to have tough conversations. We stay in a world that lacks wisdom, that lacks learning. There's another appeal to manifestation and toxic positivity that I do understand, the coping mechanism, 
the balm to soothe us in a world that is unbearable to look at. So it's about getting a little space from the feelings. I am sad versus I'm noticing I'm feeling sad gives a little space. You have the capacity to experience all your emotions. Anger washes over us and through us, for example. We are not anger. It's weather. The body is the earth. The emotions are the weather. So observing your thoughts, knowing they aren't you, it's your actions that affect the environment. Emotional agility is knowing not to treat our emotions as sacrosanct and not to dismiss them, but to see them as clues to your values. On one of my privileged globe-trotting trips to India, I discovered the outdoor laundry in the middle of Mumbai at the recommendation of friends who'd gone the day before and found it fun. I did not find it fun. The laundry is where all the hotel's clothes get sent to get hand-washed by people who live and work in these concrete trough things and they have adjacent slabs of concrete that serve as beds. Men and women and children live here 24-7, doing back-breaking work 24-7 in the water. I briefly met one worker who had a large cancer on her neck the size of a couple of tennis balls and she was pounding the laundry like her life depended on it. My guide told me that it was actually her children's lives that depended on it because she would die soon and they'd be left to continue washing the sheets of wealthier people without their mum. There are places and circumstances in this world where people are not getting out. Gem mines where children live and die. All the people making all the fast fashion. The idea of a vision board and manifesting the perfect job brings bile to the throat when put into the context of real life. Poverty is not a personal fault. It's not a problem that can be solved by one person making a vision board and looking at torn out magazine pages of their coveting. I do think, though, that a way to cultivate real gratitude and humility is to take what privilege you have and get a passport. I feel very satisfied with my current position in life as someone who can watch Vanderpump Rules over Tuesday and not have to go mine for blood diamonds on Wednesday morning. That might sound facetious, but that's real. Like, my life is chill, and I'm grateful for that. And if you're a manifesting generator and remain convinced of your magical ability to dictate the future, can you please stop focusing on manifesting a million dollars for your brand and instead manifest literally anything for anyone else? There is this book, which was made into a movie, called The White Tiger, It's a tale of a low-caste Bangalore man who inceptions his way into being the driver for a very rich high-caste man. The low-caste man is determined to better his personal circumstances through any means necessary because that's the only way, by any means necessary. He achieves his goal by murdering his master and stealing his money, then disappearing, knowing full well that his entire village would be killed for his crimes, and they were. The protagonist could justify it. It's a strong story because it shows just what it takes to transcend certain circumstances and poses the ethical questions of individualism. And it also debunks positive thinking as being powerful enough a weapon to alter someone's prescribed journey. Triangle of Sadness was another film that looked at survival and abundance through the lens of a literally sinking ship. The billionaire and the captain were dead weight, whereas the alpha of the group turned out to be the Filipino housewife Abigail. 
Oscar nomination, but not a win. Just before the great COVID lockdown of 2020, I had to attend a staff meeting at the Don't Worry, Be Happy yoga studio in which all the teachers sat in a big circle and were forced to make vision boards. Old issues of yoga journal were passed around and it sunk in that I would actually have to do this activity of crafting on a Saturday in place of a staff meeting where I thought we'd be discussing teaching and exchanging useful skills and techniques and talking business. I left with my first and only vision board. I just cut out pictures of cash and beaches so the boss would be satisfied and leave me alone. And I went home and I threw it in the trash and I quit that place. Babes, that's the record. Thank you for letting this naive Sherpa jerk you around the mountain again as I continue this thought experiment and get through this thing called life with you. I'll be back with a new episode of From LA With Love next week on The Wealth Gap and what it's like to live close to Skid Row an open-air human rights crisis while the millionaires sit aloft at all in downtown LA penthouses. So until then, stay positive. It's not goodbye, just au revoir. Thank you.